Hey, before I get to the message this week, um, a couple of you came up to me this week and held me accountable. I love it when you do that because when I promise this, that I'm going to do something and then I don't always uh, carry through because I get busy. You, uh, so anyhow, you said, hey, pastor, you told us that you would give us kind of ongoing teaching uh, in little bits about what giving has to do with our spiritual life. And I haven't heard anything lately. Where, where, where is it? My bad. Okay, you got, you got me. So here's another little family moment installment. Let me tell you what we're going to do for the next six weeks. I'm just going to give you a scripture every week. And this is in um, the first principle series we have. uh, Actually has a book um, written by Howard Dayton. Before there was Dave Ramsey, there was Howard Dayton. Howard Dayton is an elder here. And it's called uh, Finding Financial Freedom. And and, and it it starts out each lesson with a scripture. One of Howard's favorite scriptures and one of my favorite scriptures is a rhetorical question that comes from Jesus that I would like you to consider. It's in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. And this is what Jesus said. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth or money, just money, who will entrust the true riches to you? In other words, if you're stuck feeling like you don't have the spiritual life you want, you don't have the relationships you want, you don't have the impact in this world that you want, which is really the true riches. We're here to make a difference. Perhaps there is a sticking point in your life that you're not being faithful in giving back to the Lord a portion of what he's given you and managing the rest of it for him, with him in mind. It's that simple. When I was a little boy, um, I was, we were poor. I got raised by a single mom, and, and we didn't have much money. But I canvassed all of my aunts and uncles and, and uh, um, grandparents for a remote control. It was a big deal back then for Christmas. And I think they all pitched in and got me one. Now, back then, remote control didn't mean radio controlled. It had an actual wire to it. And you had, a, you had a console that had D batteries, you know, those huge D batteries in them. And uh, so I got this thing. I was so excited. And I pressed, and I could hear the whirring sound, and nothing. I was so disappointed. I thought, this is awful. I've waited so long for this thing. So I thought, even, even somebody like me who's not mechanically inclined, i got to see if there's... So I bent down, and sure enough, there's this little, just this little stone or toy or whatever it was, in front of one of the wheels. And that's why it wouldn't go. Just took the thing up, took off. I want to tell you, it's that kind of impediment, that kind of simple, normal things you already know about uh, that can get in the way of the spiritual life that you were designed to have. And Jesus said, one of those is giving back to the Father. So I just asked you to consider that because that's what he said, and he's our boss. All right, now, I want to tell you something. Uh, I'm gonna, I haven't got very long to go through this, um, so you've got to listen quickly. And I, get, I just got to give you a, a, a heads up. I'm going to make some of you really mad today. Uh, but my job, it's what I do. Um, I, I want to talk about men and women. And I want to talk about relationships. And some of this is going to be about marriage, and I, I, know, I know a lot of you are not married. But all of it applies to relationships that you have. First of all, I want to tell you that we're in trouble here when it comes to forming the family. Let me go back to where we started and just give you a real quick, quick rundown. I said, 
I, I said, I believe that God wants you to have the best year you've ever lived in your life. But in order to have that year, you'd have to live differently than you ever have lived in your life, or you just keep having the same year. I said, I believe it has something to do with the vision Christ had for all believers. And that is that he would build a church, the power of which would break through hell, both in our lives and in the world. There's one building block for that church. It's called a disciple. That's why he said, go, therefore, and make disciples. And a disciple is, we discovered in the first book that we went through, becoming a disciple. And we we go through these books so that you can use them. You can do this for any group. You can do them with your family. You can do it because it's simply looking at at, at scripture and saying, how does this apply to my life? But these are the five basic lessons of becoming a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who has a gospel message. The gospel message is this. When Christ died on the cross, he nullified both the penalty and power of sin in our life. And if you want to accept that gift that he gives you on the cross, sin has no longer power in in your life, both in terms of what you owe or in in terms of what holds you back. He didn't stop there. He was resurrected to give us the resurrected life, not just when we die physically, but the resurrected life every day we live in this earth. Second, a disciple is someone who has or is building a spiritual family. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no, no such thing as somebody who can do this by themselves. God himself is a relationship. He made us for relationships. Jesus Christ gathered a spiritual family. That's what we do. Number three, a disciple is someone who is being trained in how to, li- to live the resurrected life here on earth. That's what we're doing every week. Every week. That's what you're, be- that's what you're being trained to do now. Number four, a disciple is someone who has been transformed by God. That will come by his power, not by your trying harder, but by trusting more. God does it. And number five, a disciple is someone who is being freed from trying to manage others. Trying to, you know, the resurrected life gives you plenty of power. You operate out of the surplus to, to live your life in the power of God. You don't have enough to manage everybody else's life. So, so let it go. Let, that, let God have them. You do you. And the greatest thing you can be to this world is an example. All right? All right. Now we're into the family of families. This is the, the us part. Uh, belonging to a family of families. And what we've said so far are, are, are two things. Number one, we've said that the disciples of Jesus are being organized into a family of families. God organizes his followers into a household or a family structure. That's how he, that's how he organized it. This is, a, this is a family of families right here. Um, and, and number two, that God's truth is established in us by close spiritual relationships. You don't, you don't get it up here. You get it by walking along with someone. God can't teach you about love outside of relationship. God can't teach you about trust outside of a relationship. God can't teach you about grace outside of a relationship. Now, here's the lesson for today. God's order for believing families. In this book, the third lesson has a, has a very impactful sentence. Listen to this. In a time when the guidelines for marriage and family are being redefined in our culture, it is vital 
that we build our marriages and families on God's design. Now, let me tell you how the world arranges relationships. First of all, the world basically says, you gotta, get out, you, gotta, you gotta make sure that you're getting something out of the relationship. Are you getting enough out of the relationship? And pretty soon, you start to switch, are they giving me enough? And, and the answer to that is always no. They're not, they're, not, they're not doing enough for me. And then it becomes a competition within the relationship. We have, we have built relationships both between individuals and between groups that are competitive to the point of tearing each other down and therefore sabotaging the relationship as we go. Let me tell you a story. This Christian couple was fighting. You know Christian couples do that every once in a while. And, 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 and they were just, and, and you know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you start out, you've got a legitimate issue. It doesn't take very long before it's an ad hominem attack. That is a personal attack. And that's exactly what happened here. They had a legitimate issue. And he, the, the husband, said this to her. He said, I do not know why God made you so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. She never missed a beat. She looked at him sweetly and said, well, he made me beautiful so that you could love me. And he made me stupid so that I could love you. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking she just won that round, didn't you? Yeah, let me tell you, no. She just lost that round and he lost that round. And I'll tell you why. Because when we cut each other down, when we cut each other, what happens is that there becomes a wound that if given time will heal over, but it heals over with scar tissue. And one of the characteristics of scar tissue is it can't feel. It can't feel. So if that's how you conduct your relationship, pretty much, pretty soon, there's really no emotional attachment because there have been so many cuts. You don't feel anymore. God has a better way. God has a better way, but here's the stumbling block to God's way. It involves authority. It involves recognizing God's authority. It involves a decision to do, I'm going to do my relationships like God wants me to do relationships. And I start out with exactly the opposite approach that the world teaches me. Let me begin with Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. This is what it says. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, literally, that says, and keep on being. This is a present participle. It calls for repeated and continuous action. Keep on submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That tells us two things. First of all, this is not natural for us because we want to come out on top. Number two, it says that this isn't about our relationship per se. This is how we worship Christ. This has to do with our approach to God and what we believe God to be and who we want glorified in the relationship. Let me read to you some, some passages that, that have to do with husbands and wives that are transferable to the church family. 
And it has to do with children, transferable to the church family, and employees are transferable to the church family. I want you to see a pattern here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Doesn't that just grate you? Doesn't that, don't you just feel nails on a blackboard? Let me, let me tell you why I want to change your mind about that. First of all, this isn't a statement about men and women. This isn't about a statement about the superiority of men over, the, over women. This is wives, be, submit yourself to your own husband. Nothing to do with men and women here, although I am going to talk about men and women later on, but, and, but that's how they fit together. As, watch this, to the Lord. This isn't about your husband. This is about your reverence for Christ. This isn't about whether he deserves it. This is about whether Christ deserves your behavior toward your husband like this. By the way, as I go through this, I want you to think of one word. And Bethany just sang it in that beautiful song. Humble. This is all, all about humility. This is not about who comes out on top. This is, this, this is about who can serve. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If we're going to be like Jesus, that's our goal. To serve. Submission is our goal. So that we can lift others up. That's what submission is. Literally sub under mission. Come under their mission. We want to make them better. But I want you to see as we go down this, it keeps referring back to Christ. This in, in verse 23, as, as to Christ. Uh, verse 24, the church is subject to Christ. Also, as wives ought to be uh, to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, do you think the wives have a tough job submitting to you? You got a tougher job because you ain't got a life anymore. I, 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 my wife tells me to quit saying ain't because I'm teaching kids bad things. I'm trying to be too clever here. You, you give up your whole life. You give up your whole life as Christ gave it up for the church. Your concern is for her. Period. And do you know what else it says? It says, so that he might sanctify her, cleanse her washing of the, uh, by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or anything, but that she would be holy and blameless. Husbands, here's your job. Make your wives look like superstars. I don't care whether they are or not. That's what you do. That's what you do. Do you, know, do you know why I keep talking up my wife? First of all, that's literally what I think of her. I'm not lying to you. She's, she is just that great. But second of all, this isn't for Becky. This is to imitate Christ. This is what he did for his bride. This is what he did for us. We knew we weren't righteous. But in Christ, we're righteous. In Christ, we're made righteous. We count, we're counted as righteous in Christ. Husbands, don't ever run your wife down in front of other people. That is not biblical. You build your wife up. Guess what? 
it'll come back to her. Either one of it will come back to her. You reap what you sow. And this word says, because of Christ, we come under our spouse. Come on, with this sword. I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go even. It, it, it keeps talking about as to the Lord, as to, and it says this mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. And then it says something really, really gripping. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, before I get to that, let me just say a little bit about the kids, all right? In, 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 in Ephesians 6, 1, this is what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Again, this isn't about just obedience. This is about the Lord. Parents, I want to tell you something, and I, and I say this right to your face. If you don't make your children respect you, no matter how they feel, if you don't make them treat you with respect, no matter how they feel, they will never honor the Lord. And I'll tell you why. Because you're the immediate authority figure in their life. And the Bible says, how can you say that you Love someone who you have not seen if you can't even love someone who you have seen. How can you say these kids will grow up to reverence and respect God if they don't even reverence and respect the parents who they've been given? It is really important that you do that. This is about the Lord. This is not just about our kids. This is not just about, you know, I'm tired and I'm going to let him get. No, this you're shaping your kid's spiritual future. It goes on to talk to, about slaves, and we don't have slaves in, in most of today, although there's another subject, but I'll tell you about that later. But this could apply to employees. This could apply to someone who has authority over you in a volunteer capacity. And what it's saying is treat them, you know, um, with respect. If you are an employee, you owe your boss respect. Now, I know... I can tell you, you're just going to want to write me letters and explain to me this week how terrible your boss is. Don't do it. Don't do it. First of all, I won't listen to it. Because your boss is your boss. I'm sure he or she is terrible. Uh, you don't have to convince me of that. The point is, I don't care if they are terrible. You treat them with respect. Because that's what scripture says to do. That's, that's how we build relationships is that we give grace, and grace is for people who don't deserve it, but because I am in the position and they are an authority over me, I treat them with respect. This is what it says. With goodwill, I'll come back to this, render service as to the Lord, not to men. As to the Lord, not to men. He or she is not the point. The Lord is the point. All right, now let me, let me go through Oh, first of all, let me come back to that little verse. Husbands, love your wives. Because of what I'm about to tell you, this is, this is the toughest job you have because men don't love well. We don't, it's not in our nature. We want to accomplish something. 
which is why we pursue so hard before we get married. And then we got the goal, you know, and we just kind of check out because we accomplished the goal. Well, the point is, the Bible says that you need to cherish her as a person. You need to let, you need to do what you don't do well. Wives, respect your husbands. Oh, gosh. This is so tough for you, and I'll tell you why. Because y'all got memories. Men don't remember stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you physiologically what, why that's true, but men don't remember stuff. Women remember everything, and they visit the memories regularly. <laughs> true. Physiologically, it's true. It's true. And so it's tough because you're thinking, I'll respect him when he does, when he, when he, you know, does something worthy of my respect. But you've got all these memories of stuff he didn't do worthy of your respect. The Bible doesn't say, respect your husband when he earns your respect. The Bible says, respect your husband. Let me tell you something about relationships that you probably already know, but you need some preacher to remind you. Here's the key. Women do love naturally. I mean, they, they, they are in relationships naturally. But they need to have a reciprocal and emotional relationship. And men, if you are just using your wife to accomplish your goals, if that's all she is to you, somebody who can take care of the house or take care of the kids or earn a certain portion of money or, or help you do better at your job, you have totally missed the point. She will check out emotionally and both of you will be impoverished in your relationship. Women, if you don't respect your husband, respect is the main entry to romance to a man. Love, fine, you know. You told me you loved me 20 years ago, I still believe you. There's no use saying it again. You don't need, I, you know, if something changes, let me know. You know, but otherwise, you told me already. Doesn't, but you say to a man, I admire you. I so respect you. Oh my goodness. If you demonstrate to him, that you do not need him, or even that you do not respect him, he will not be in that relationship very long. I mean, he may be physically there. He checked out a long time ago because that's what a man needs. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, let me tell you why that's true physiologically. And again, I know you're going to be tempted to write. Please don't. Please don't. I, I just, I'm going to say it. And you can take it or leave it, but don't make me try to fix you. Um, um, I, I want you to, to know that on the website, there, there are a few links to the articles that I'm going to refer to here so that you can read them for yourself. But physiologically, there's a difference between the, the way that women's and, and men's brains are wired. Because the creator had something in mind when he made you. You are made just exactly like he wanted. The Bible says you are knit together in your mother's womb. When, when your, your days were ordained when, you, when there was not yet one of them. So you are very intentionally made like you are. 
But you never know why you were made like that until you get in a relationship. And the relationship is not just a marriage relationship, it's a church relationship. Let me give you three scriptures, and then I'll, then I'll give you some, some things I read, and then we'll go home. Number one, remember that God created, God's the manufacturer of you. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and, and God, the, the Hebrew word is Elohim, it's a plural word used in a singular sense. In other words, God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he made us for relationships. That's how we know, that's how we will know who we really are. And why we were made like we were. God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. He, uh, he created him, and, and uh, male and female, he created them. Okay, now watch. There's a, there's a, there's a, when you get a product, you get an owner's manual with it. And it comes with instructions from the manufacturer. Now, men, of course, don't read that at all, because they figure they can just figure it out. Okay, but if you would read it, you would know why it was made like it is, how it goes together, and what it was intended to do. All right, the same thing, this is the manufacturer's manual, instruction manual. And so therefore, we read this because God's design comes with a, with a certain authority. And if you go outside the, the boundaries, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. Number two. Men and women were meant to work together. And again, I'm about to give you some information, but, and, I, and I realize these are gross generalizations. Everybody has, everybody's put together differently. Uh, some some has, have, have wire, brains wired differently and so on, but generally speaking, this is what Genesis 2.18 says. It says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Now, the word helper in Hebrew means corresponding one or one who suits him. Uh, don't, don't get into the whole, you know, the women are the, are the weaker sex. Obviously, that's not true just from logic. You know, who is, who is stronger, the one who needs the help or the helper? You know, so it's, it has nothing to do with strength. It has everything to do with how you fit. If a man has a weakness in this area... This is why a woman was made. And if a woman has a weakness in this area, this is why a man was made. And it's not just about men and women, it's about the church. This is what it says, according to our spiritual giftedness and our wiring. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter, 21, uh, chapter 12, verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We all need each other. We were made to fit together. But let me just go through a few of these articles so that you can get some idea. And, and again, I've, I haven't left myself any time for this, but, but let, me just, let me just start down this way. Men's brains, men utilize about seven times the gray matter in their brain, and women utilize about 10 times the white matter. Now, gray matter is a very localized functioning processing center. And so therefore, because men operate out of a localized processing center, they tend to be tunnel, they tend to have tunnel vision. They tend to have a, 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 an objective and a project and I want to get this stuff done. And they tend to be less sensitized to the surroundings around them, especially if those surroundings are feelings or problems. Because they're, they're just trying to get someplace. They're just trying to get someplace. 
Women operate out of white matter. White matter networks gray matter and other processing centers in the brain. That is to say that women physiologically, naturally, are much more attuned to their surroundings and the feelings that they have. Let me, let me go even further. Women have larger hippocampuses, which is the, kind of the central place for, the, for a reservoir of feelings and memories. And, and, and from everything we can track, as far as the, 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 the um, firing of neurons in the brain and the, and the concentration of neurons, they tend to live and revisit much more the memories and the feelings that go along with them. Men don't. They, they analyze a feeling and then they set about a project. And so they, they, just, they don't stay there very long. Women, when they think, they use both their left side of their brain and their right side of their brain. Left side is logic, right side is intuition, all right? And, 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 and they, when they speak, they verbalize from both sides. Men, <laughs> not so much. Men think mostly from their left side, which is the, the, the logic side, but, but they don't have as many um, um, verbal processing centers. And those verbal processing centers aren't connected as well to feelings. And so when you ask a man about his feelings, most of the time you'll get this response. Yeah, bad, good, okay. You know, just not real descriptive of how he feels because he can't, and he doesn't feel it very much, you know, because he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't go back, he doesn't revisit, he doesn't analyze, you know. Men analyze for the layout and the, um, the uh, progress that, that he can make from it. Let me, let me tell you another difference. Again, women think side to side. Men think backward to forward. Men think, okay, you've, you've often heard it said that men have a better sense of direction than women do. Um, um, they, can, they can read a map um, just naturally better than women can. Again, please don't send me letters. That's just what the data says. I don't care. But the, but the point is, and my, my, wife, my wife's the most brilliant woman I know, and she has, she's, she's direction deficient. I, I, it's not because she's dumb. It's just because her brain doesn't work like that. And a, a man is much more spatially oriented. That is, he wants to get someplace. He always has a, a goal. A woman, watch this, generally speaking, is wired to see the problems of getting there. Uh, women have about half the serotonin than men do. Serotonin is a, is a neurotransmitter that, that is associated with uh, um, emotional buoyancy. Um, and, so, and so women, in extreme cases, it's linked to depression in women. But, but most of the time it says women worry more than men. Because they, they, they are more aware of the problems. Men are not, and don't really want to be aware of the problems. They just want to get to where we're going. And so, you see how perfectly God has put this together. You know, for charge up the hill leadership, God many times is going to choose a man. 
Because, because that's, what he's, that's what he's oriented toward. But for avoiding the potholes between here and the top, man, that's, that's he's going to need a voice that says, have you thought about this? I don't really want to think about that. Yeah, but really, have you thought about this? Because you're going to sabotage the whole effort if you don't think about this. We need to love each other. We need to decide we belong together. We need to decide that this is God's design for our lives. And that we've already decided that we're going to appreciate God's design and the strengths that he's given us and use the weaknesses that he's given us to connect to one another. We just got to decide it before we keep analyzing it as to whether or not we should continue with a relationship. I heard a story. I'll end with this. I heard a story about this little girl. Well, she wasn't a little girl. She's a teenager at the time. And she was, um, she was seeing pictures of her great-grandmother. She was still alive. And her grandfather, great-grandfather. And they had this wonderful marriage. And, uh, and, so, and these, were, these were these old tin types. Those are pictures that used to be made in a, in a certain way. But every picture she saw of them, they were sitting down. And so one, t- one day she came to her great-grandmother and, and uh, great-grandmother's like in her 90s now and, and uh, said, hey, I got, a, I got a question to ask you. I see, I see these, these uh, pictures of you and great-grandfather, um, but you're always sitting down. Don't you have any pictures of you guys standing up? And she said, no. And she said, why not? And she said, well, to be honest with you, I was six inches taller than your great-grandfather, and he was kind of sensitive about it. Well, she said, could I ask you a question? She said, sure. She said, you know, how could you fall in love with a guy who was six inches shorter than you and sensitive about it? She said, well, to tell you the truth, we met while we were sitting down. (laughs) And she said... And we talked so long, we fell in love while we were sitting down. And when I stood up, it was too late. (laughs) We got to decide we belong together. We got to decide we're going to make the best out of things. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for this scripture. Help us to be humble enough to learn from our differences and to Count differences as a gift that you've given us so that we can get on down the road together. We pray that you would take these scriptures and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow, apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold, and apply them to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.